our first anniversary. We're back! It's been a whole year of speaking municipally, and we've had a bit of a break, and I'd say we're well-rested, but this episode's coming out late, and you can make of that what you will. We'll update you on all the things we missed over the summer, because we're about to approach the fall season of City Council. Please make it stop. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 49, and oh, well, we're back after this summer break. Um, Sure felt like summer out there. Yeah, we had a frost warning last night, so that's lots of fun. Uh, We're in the throes of fringe, and I say that because... I am going to 26 shows this week. I am exhausted right now because I was at shows all night last night. The long and skinny of it is, if you listener want to come to a show with me, please do. I will be at all of them. So reach out, email, Twitter, you know, anything. And on to the rapid fire segment. Cats Group Real Estate and former president of the organization Glenn B. Scott are suing each other. Scott alleges that he's owed at least $6 million after he was terminated in December of 2018. The Cats Group Real Estate Organization alleges in a counterclaim that, neener, neener, you get nothing. While some might be frustrated that this seems to be just rich people suing each other for a bigger piece of the pie offered up by taxpayers in a sweetheart ice district deal, it's important to remember the economic positives here. This process is going to lead to so much economic stimulation for a group that's really full of not very well-off everymen, lawyers. The white eye of arsonist has pleaded guilty to, well, arson. Court documents this month have revealed his master plan, which was to buy steel-toed boots, but instead he bought alcohol, gasoline, and a jerry can and lit some stuff on fire. Even the best laid plans can go awry. Still shrouded in mystery is Hawaiian Shirt Guy, the citizen who stepped up and took down the arsonist in a White Ave Starbucks. He was not called to testify during the hearing, as the court has an immovable and strict dress code, and the unstoppable force of his Hawaiian shirt would lead to a loggerhead that would only delay the system further. Last night, August 16th, frost warnings were issued for southern areas of Alberta. Ever the innovator, Alberta this year is proving that summer is completely optional. And I'll be honest, it's not great for me. After a long and hard winter this year, it would have been really nice to have a bright, warm, and sunny summer. However, not everyone is down on the weather, with some looking forward to winter. Said EPL CEO Pilar Martinez, Once winter comes and we never see the sun again, the library lights will always be on. Maybe then the memes will stop. Speaking municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We've been off for a few weeks, so we need to pay some bills. So we've got a clip from Alberta Blue Cross, who is hosting the Wellness Summit. You know, Alberta Blue Cross really wants to support people. We truly, truly are moving the needle in a way that we want to make an impact. And so, you know, coming to even a first ever event is always fun. You can always now be able to say, hey, I was at that event. And our intention is to really leverage and scale this on an annual basis. So why not come and be that first pioneer and leader that raises their hand and says, you know what, this sounds fantastic. I want to be part of this movement, the energy that's going to happen there. Sign me up. So, Mac, I think the first thing to talk about is the descent onto Edmonton that is everywhere and nuisance, fun thing. Oh, are we going to be a curmudgeon columnist or are we going to be ever the urban innovators? Bird scooters are in Edmonton and they are everywhere. You rode some last night. Yeah, I tried it out last night because I was on 104th Street. That's the bubble that I live in and saw the people scooting around all day. And I'm like, I got to give this thing a shot for myself. So I went and found uh, a bird scooter across the street, which wasn't very far. And it didn't work. 
Cool. I, I scanned the QR code, you know, I unlocked it and it was unlocked. And then I tried to move it and the throttle wouldn't do anything. I sort of like wheeled it around. I'm, I've never used one, right? So I'm like, am I doing this wrong? I probably looked like a total fool to the people walking by. Couldn't figure it out. Finally locked it. I'm like, I don't think this is me. Went two blocks away and found another scooter and it worked just fine. So I uh, contacted Bird Support and to their credit, they reimbursed me for that $2 for the first one that didn't work and said they'd get somebody out to fix the scooter. Um, But once I got on the one that worked, it was a lot of fun. Uh, So you said it's $2. I don't think anyone's arguing that like electric scooters are just a ton of fun. I was biking around doing fringe and just like everyone was on these scooters scooting around, falling off a little bit, um, doing stupid junk, hopping curbs. But... It's a little bit pricey for bird scooters. It's $1.15 to launch a session and then about 35 cents, cents per minute. Yeah. Um, so you paid $2 like for or something. your first one. Yeah. And do you think this fits in with where we want to have a like middle ground last mile sort of transit option for downtown? Yeah, I think like you said a few weeks ago, it's a great uh, another option for urban mobility. It's another good last mile option. And for me, it fits in really nicely where, you know, it's maybe a bit of a walk and I could hoof it, but I'll be sweating. And I don't want to bike maybe to my destination because I don't want to be sweaty when I get there. But it's not worth it to take transit. And it's a little bit less expensive than an Uber, right? I think a scooter is a really nice fit for that type of a use case. And when you're in the downtown area or maybe the old Strathcona area, I think that use case is pretty common, actually. Um, So I'm excited about these. I think it'll be good to have. I do think we still need a bike share. I would love to have a bike share in addition to scooter shares. But we're off to a good start, I think, with uh, more mobility options. And I'm curious to see how they do in the winter. Um, because presumably you can still use them and the bike lanes are the first things cleared. They're always clear downtown. I don't don't know know if that presumption is actually correct. One of the things that I saw discussed uh, when scooter shares were coming in was the potential that this is just a summer thing and they got put into vans and shipped away in winter. Well, we'll have to look look that up because that would be quite interesting. And I mean, I don't think any decisions have been made one way or the other. That was just a discussion point. But yeah, I'd like to see these in winter, especially because in winter... It's a lot slower walking around. And it's slippery. And so it's maybe sl- that's not safe for the scooters. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, probably doesn't help the uh, endless curmudgeoning about these dangerous scooters right. everywhere. Uh, so right now, Bird is in, but Lime is also coming. I think they'll be fully launched on Monday. Right. And they're starting to appear here and there around Edmonton. Yeah. And they're already been down in Calgary for a few weeks now. And they seem to have gotten over some of the kinks. So hopefully they go smoothly here in Edmonton. Beyond that. We had a summer. We had a couple weeks off and there's just a lot of stuff that happened. And I think the only way to do it is we're just going to talk about stuff and change topics until we run out of time. So next up, two out of three contenders for the West Valley Line LRT have backed out of bidding. Yeah, we only had three bids in the first place. And then over the summer, this was back on July 25th. Uh, the Edmonton Journal published an article saying two of them had backed out. And so that's not a good sign for that project. I mean, one of them that has backed out was SNC-Lavalin, which, you know, is SNC-Lavalin. There's a lot of, I would say, um, angst about SNC-Lavalin right now. And a lot of people are happy that they've backed out. But this means that the bidding process is going to be reopened and more companies are going to bid. Yeah, Councillor Nack said it's a chance to garner more interest and expand the city's options before moving forward. I do wonder at what point we consider, hey, maybe not build it as a P3. Maybe this isn't so much easier like Iveson was selling it when he was talking about P3s before. Who knows? 
Speaking of transit, satisfaction of transit stayed exactly the same. 78%. Yeah. So every year there's a survey on transit satisfaction. The latest results came out while we were away and it didn't move at all. I'm not sure what to make of that. I mean, we didn't invest in transit or materially change much other than cutting some service routes. So, hey, you don't improve things and things don't improve. Go figure. Shocking. Some things that... uh, didn't improve and in fact went down a little bit was Edmonton's credit rating. We've been downgraded from AA plus to AA, much to the chagrin and panic of John D. from War 3, friend of the podcast. That's right. This is the first time the credit rating has dropped in 15 years. And this is obviously from Standard & Poor's, the credit rating agency. I mean, practically, what does this mean? Uh, absolutely nothing whatsoever. It's AA is still like pretty high yeah it's like four (laughs) letter grades higher than i got in university and i mean i'm fine so they said the downgrade was a result of our growing debt burden to fund infrastructure like the valley line lrt extension which was also interesting i'll say that there was a post on the edmonton subreddit of someone who was visiting and he was a transit enthusiast and he was saying i wanted to visit edmonton because you're one of the cities in the world that has invested most in light rail infrastructure with Because we're doing like 18 kilometers worth of Valley Line investment. And I thought it was interesting that like we were getting recognition from outside Edmonton for like massive investments. And tourism. Who knew? Yeah. Go figure. Speaking of newness and adding new things, five new boat docks and launches have appeared in Edmonton, uh, which is a long time coming. Yeah, the city now has nine hand launches, seven docks, and two motorized boat launches uh, all along the River Valley. The five new ones are at Whitemud Park, Laurier Buena Vista Park, Dawson Park, Horlack Park, and Capilano Park. And this is something that if you don't go and boat the North Saskatchewan River, you can go do it. Like, there's a lot of, you can get a kayak, you can get a little paddle boat, canoe, any. It is a river you can play on. And put it on your calendar for next year. Epcor's Riverfest is a good opportunity if you want to try it for the first time. Jollibee, uh, which I think is charitably the Filipino McDonald's. Um, Yeah, Yeah, that's a good description. They've opened with uh, crazy lineups. One individual showing there three days early with a t-shirt. Yeah, is this like an Apple store? I don't know. This guy, Jordan Hayworth, lined up three days early. A lot of people don't understand why people care so much about this. The first, I think it was 50 people in line that spend 25 bucks, get free Jollibee for a year. Right. So if you don't have anything better in your life right at that moment, it's... It might be worth it. Some fried chicken could be a good reason to line up. Fried chicken and spaghetti. K-Days had its lowest attendance in a decade at 702,327. I was really surprised by this. I went to K-Days this year. It's a sort of an annual tradition for Sharon and I. And this year we brought our daughter Emily, which was kind of fun. I, it's my annual corn dog and, and Sharon's annual mini donuts. And we went on the Sunday that was free if you had a public library card. And it was insane. I've never seen K-Days so full of people. So when this report came out that attendance was down. I was actually quite surprised. The Northlands folks blamed it on ill-timed bad weather. I mean, to their credit, yeah, it was ill-timed bad weather. I would say that your justification that when it was free, it was packed, uh, maybe that's a good way to increase our transit systems approval rating. There you go. uh, I will say that I was unsurprised and didn't go this year because K-Day's... Not great. Not, not your great. Thing. Not I your mean, thing. like when I was a kid, there was a novelty of like going on these rides right in downtown Edmonton. As an adult, not only do I not really enjoy them, but I also like see how rickety and haphazard these are slapped together and like staffed by people who charitably I don't think have expertise in this. <laughs> um, 
it's scary and not not that's not fun for me but there's greasy food troy there is but there's also taste of edmonton and heritage days and so many greasy opportunities like the edmonton fringe where you can come see shows with troy reach out the one final thing i'll say on k days is i don't know if it's me and not engaging in culture but i feel like k days is skewing older um so like music wise Mm -hmm. there used to be a lot of like headliner bands that you know the teens and tweens could really bop out to sure but like the headliners this week are people like i think the offspring was there right aqua and like from our childhood well i mean (laughs) your childhood maybe that's still a bit too old for me so like i'm thinking this is like appealing to the gen xers the boomers and trying to get an older crowd out in addition to the younger crowds, because I think you're always going to have teens messing around at K-Days. I was just going to say the packs of young girls wearing tube tops uh, would suggest otherwise about the age demographic they're going for. But maybe you're right. Maybe they're trying to attract both ends of the spectrum and the music is one way to do that. Uh, one thing I will just say for the record, Northlands is a new president, CEO. His name is Peter Mayle. To my knowledge, we are not related. I've had a number of people ask me this. <laughs> I do have an uncle named Peter, but it is not this individual. Okay, that you know of. That I, yeah, that I know of. <laughs> uh, the J.W. Merritt Edmonton opened in Ice District. Yeah, and there's some new restaurants in there. One is called Braven. One is called Kindred. Uh, we went one day, Sharon and I just walked in. We had the the stroller and, you know, it's a kind of a fancy uh, hotel, right? J.W. Marriott. Like, what are they going to look at? Or what are they going to think of when they see two young people with a kid walking in? And they were all very welcoming. It was We were able to freely walk around the lobby and check out some of the restaurants. Uh, so that was a good first impression. Um, the restaurants kind of look right into the square, which will be very interesting once that construction is all done. And it'll be a really nice place, I think, to be able to uh, check out all of the activities that are going on. As long as you don't want to watch a VIP movie, which has been removed from that. There you go. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I don't know much about I haven't, been, I haven't been elsewhere inside the hotel. The rooms look nice from the pictures. Yeah. I don't know that you're going to go stay at a hotel a couple blocks from your house. That doesn't seem like it's worth it. Also not worth it is the Bonnie Dune traffic circle turning into a, it says a four-way intersection. It's not. It's a five-way intersection, but they've finagled their way around it. Can't quite count. <laughs> it's, it's not good. It's, um, I mean, I get that it can't be a traffic circle because of the train unless we go over, which... Or under or whatever. Yeah, yeah. refer to previous episodes for why that was a bad idea. But this intersection is not great. The main thing that I'm concerned about with this intersection is unquestionably it is going to cause traffic delays comparatively to the traffic circle. Yeah. And that's not going to win friends. Um, I mean, most of these friends are going to be commuters from Sherwood Park, to which I say, eh? Or the south side, maybe. I mean... Traffic circles are wonderful things. I love them. Not the ones like 118th Avenue with lights on them, but proper traffic circles. I mean, that's not a traffic circle. That's a series of one-way streets. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. So I'm sad to see this one go. I, I like the traffic circles personally. Uh, on the other hand, though, this traffic circle was very large and did take up a large footprint. Yeah. And there was no like landscaping in the center. It was pretty ugly. It was very as... ugly. And as a pedestrian, I get that it's much harder to traverse a traffic circle than a intersection and we want to make this bonnie dune a urban redevelopment we're talking about putting a ton of residential and mixed-use developments in there so we want people to be able to walk here's the thing we said we're going to be quick but i need to talk about this because we are getting the worst of both worlds with this intersection as a pedestrian yeah traffic circles not easy to navigate also not easy to navigate wide slip lanes where cars don't have to yield and they 
are basically looking left for traffic and then if, as a pedestrian yep. you get creamed and the fifth point of this intersection from uh, i believe it's 85th to 83rd which is like a u-turn only sort of it's entirely a slip lane with no traffic controls so cars will just barrel through yeah so crossing from the mall to a northern more stationy area mm-hmm. it's just like that's not going to be a safe way to cross the pedestrian thankfully however there's an ems station right there so right. when pedestrians are inevitably hit very fast response ambulance will be seconds away eskimos named chris Pressen as the new president and CEO. This is replacing Len Rhodes, who failed as a candidate in Edmund Meadows. And was just appointed soft landing as the president of AGLC's board. Is that what it was? Or chair of the board, I mean? I mean, there was a huge slew of boards and appointments of we're all, I'm going to say cronies, but maybe that's revealing my politics a little bit. If you want to fail up, just be a white conservative in Alberta and... Success will come your way. There you go. Uh, Chris Presson was the former president of the Arizona Rattlers who play in the Indoor Football League. Have you ever heard of that league? I have not. Me neither. Um, and we're saying football as in like American football and not I mean, it's footy. in Arizona, so I assume so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally, the last brief update. Edmonton's living wage has been updated to sixteen fifty one an hour, which doesn't mean that people are getting paid sixteen fifty one an hour. It means that's how much you need to live in Edmonton. Right. The report says 42% of Edmontonians living in poverty identify as a visible minority. That was the other key finding. This is the report from the Edmonton Social Planning Council and N Poverty Edmonton. And the living wage is down from $17.36 when the number was first calculated in 2015 and up very, very slightly from last year. All right. Um, And so that just goes to show, hey, $15 might not actually be enough. Right. White Ave is due for some pretty significant changes because the Cornerstone store that's been there 15 years, forever, 20 years, something. Yeah. The chapters on, I want to say 105th, yeah. um, it's closing and it's going to be closed in January and replaced with probably some mom and pop businesses, maybe like a farmer's market oh, or amazing. an EPL with like cafes, right? Not a winner's. <laughs> This is the topic that everybody's been talking about. You know, it's one of those things you walk into a coffee shop and you kind of listen into people's conversations. I do that. Yeah, I do that. Uh, Everyone's talking about the chapters. It's the only thing people can talk about. Uh, And I'm as guilty as anyone else for why this place is closing. I can't remember the last time I bought a book there. I have bought books there. I did buy a book there three months ago it was only it was only two months ago okay see well you're better than i am here. Uh, i think that's the only time i've bought a book in the past <laughs> five years though that you know i think the, re- the reason people are upset about it obviously is not that it's a bookstore necessarily it's part of a chain but it was one of these places on white avenue that you could walk into no one would bother you you could walk around there was a coffee shop upstairs there was bathrooms that didn't require a key or a code to get into uh, it was a nice place to escape the weather, maybe, if you were on White Avenue. And uh, Winners is not going to be those things. It feels different. So, like, when you're walking by and you look in the window and you see stacks of books, that feels sort of, like, homey and small scale. Yeah, welcoming, yeah. Yeah, when you look in the window and you see a bunch of racks of off-brand and discount uh, former label clothing, you're going to, like, I'm not going to go in there. And this seems messy uh, is how I'd describe it. Ah, that's how I think too. Like I see their commercials and they have such fashionable, fabulous looking people. And then you walk into a winner's and it looks like a tornado just went through there. Yeah. And it's really sad, honestly, because this is part of a trend for White Ave where 
rents are going up on White Ave. It's getting more difficult to own and operate businesses on White Ave that are sort of interesting mom and pop shops. And chains will always do well everywhere. And that's that's the big concern I have for this winners is that it's a huge success. Yeah, um, I think that's the worst case scenario for me personally, because that is a signal of things to come. And with White Ave already losing some of its appeal, you saw the new Raymond Block development and like it's got a five guys burgers and fries, which I mean, I don't mind five guys and got some burgers and fries, but that's not an interesting, unique. It's not the thing that you go to White Ave for. It's right. just a chain. And we're getting winners, which, as we've been talking about, sells clothes. And, and White Avenue just lost, after more than three decades, Avenue Clothing. And so there's a bit of a trend, maybe, of, of businesses shutting down. But the OSBA says, no, things are good. According to our 2018 economic indicators, our storefront vacancy rate is only 6%, said Cherie Clausen. Yeah, vacancy doesn't really signal interest, though, um, because I would say White Ave is becoming more chainified. Yes. I will say I did hear a decent argument for the existence of winners where White Ave is a place where you have some new developments that are like the micro apartments that just don't have parking and you're supposed to live car free in this yeah. area. And there's no place to just get clothes that aren't boutiques on white Ave. or some home homeware stuff that winners also sells that yeah because right? winners and home sense are the same right. company so like i can see the appeal of having such a thing available on and around white Ave, and i think we're starting to see gentrification happen on white Ave, and gentrification in this case means chain stores but you see offshoots of white Ave becoming very interesting like for example just south of white Ave, you have on uh 81st Ave, you've got a bunch of new residences turning into businesses and like you have the new Grindstone Theater operating beside Sugar Swing Ballroom and like right. these interesting and typical White Ave-ish things. They're now sort of operating on the adjacent streets and maybe that's just how, how it'll go and the area will still be interesting, but maybe the strip itself is less interesting. Right. Um, speaking of the Grindstone, that was one of the couple fringe dramas that have been happening this week so there was a show that was canceled it wouldn't be fringe without some sort of drama um so yes david belke who pleaded guilty and was convicted of possession of child pornography back in 2017 has been associated with the show who goes there um he's a playwright of course and when this was discovered to be on the fringe schedule not by the fringe, but by other people. Uh, there was a bit of an uproar about it, and they canceled the show. And then the venue decided, no, we're going to still run the show. And then they canceled it too. Messy is how I would describe this. And there's a couple layers to this story that I think don't get frequently covered in Twitter because 280 characters. But there's a couple key points here that have a bit of nuance. I think in the end, the right decision was made. The show must not go on. Well, the show must not go on in this specific manner. Um, there's there's a lot of discussion about separating art from the artist and yeah. all that sort of thing. But this is a case where this is an individual who was convicted of something that makes a lot of people very uncomfortable, especially at a festival that has kids fringe. It's, you know, yeah. this is a family friendly event. Maybe making patrons actively uncomfortable isn't in the best interest of the fringe. On the other hand, the appeal of the fringe is that it's completely unjuried and unfiltered so there's there's a both sides there but i'm i'm coming down on one side as optimal because 
especially in the Edmonton theater scene, there have been some problems in the past. If we don't actively rectify those across the entire theater scene, what are we really doing? So specifically on Belky, a couple nuanced pieces. It was never going to be just, hey, we've got a um, convicted child pornography holder hosting shows. The venue Fringe knew about Belky's involvement eight weeks ago, and they worked out a specific agreement with the venue where Belky could not be on premises before 3 p.m., which is when Kids Fringe ends. Right. A lot of work was being done to limit his access to the Fringe, which in fact could make the cancellation a bit more of a problem because Fringe cannot prohibit him from coming on. Fringe is a public event. Right. So with the agreement, he was bound by the agreement to not come onto French. Now he can if he so chooses. Right. So the gross irony of the situation is that it actually gives him more potential access to areas like Kids Fringe just by canceling the show, which is a story of unintended consequences. Uh, the other point that I'll mention is that as much as I don't want to come out as a defender, in our society we have punishment and rehabilitation. Right. This is an individual who Paula Simons wrote a column Defending why it might not have been a travesty of justice to have such a short sentence because of the mitigating factors of his case. Whether or not you agree with that, our justice system applied a sentence to him. He served it. Yep. And we're now supposed to rehabilitate. What does rehabilitation look like? Does this mean mean barring him from public events? Yeah. Does this mean that because of the nature of his crime, he's just no longer to do certain things in the rest of his life? And That seems to be the case that the public is deciding. But is that something we want long term? That's way above the pay grade of speaking municipally. Absolutely. But I will say that it is an interesting piece of nuance. And I empathize with Fringe Theater because that's a very difficult decision to make. Because, again, they knew about this eight weeks ago and they decided this was the best course of action. This is how we're going to handle it. Until the outrage happened. And they're like, we need to react before this becomes a significant problem. While we were away, Taproot launched the new Arts Roundup, which is written and curated by Fonda Mithrush, and the August 15th edition was all about Fringe, and she has links to all the different takes on this. She linked to a Ryan Jesperson interview with Trent Wilkie, who talked about you know efforts over the years to um, try to improve public relation, revelations of historic abuse in the theater community. So mm-hmm. you can check that out if you want to listen to more about that. Related, uh, Grindstone Theater also removed and canceled a show from a certain individual at their theater. This is another case of the theater scene, I would say, cleaning up the situation. Because we have had in the past many revelations across the theater scene. Uh, Just a couple years ago, uh, Rapid Fire Theater removed their artistic director after allegations of sexual assault and misconduct. And if you talk to people within the theater scene, this is... Something that's pervasive and everyone knows everyone in the Edmonton theater scene, which one makes it very obvious who is protecting whom, but it also makes it very clear. There's a lot of people who say, I know them, they would never do that. And because everyone knows everyone, that does lead to a culture of protection and perhaps not acting as swiftly as one might. Um, I'd like to give specific kudos to the Grindstone, though, because what they did in this situation is not only did they remove the individual immediately, um, but in their statement, they said they're committed to having public forums and working with other artistic communities to solve this problem long term and make sure that, you know, there's bystander training available for all people who need this training. So that's great. 
it's a problem in the Edmonton theater scene, but I can't understate this enough. It can only be a problem because Edmonton has such a great theater scene. Right. We have 250 some shows at the Fringe this year. We're the second biggest Fringe festival in the world. And just walking around Fringe, it's jarring how many theater venues you can walk to and just like that five block space. It's incredible. And these are permanent theater venues. So I am not going to condemn the theater scene. And in fact, I'm going to celebrate. Hey, we we had some problems these past couple of weeks, but we're we're getting through it. And thumbs up from Troy. That's Troy's take. Quickly, I'd like to move on to Fire and Flower, the um, cannabis retailer who um, previously was very up on city administration, uh, celebrating city administration for being cooperative and really helping them get their business started. And their tune changed. Yeah, so I got to attend in September 2018 when they did a sort of preview for their first retail store on Jasper Avenue. Uh, I got to attend the, the media launch. I got to talk to the CEO, Trevor Fencott, and he was talking about how you know Edmonton had all of the right ingredients to build this company. And they were very excited about the opportunity for growth and how they were going to capture you know 15% of the market and they were going to expand and all these great things. And then a year later... Um, after the news that they got a $380 million strategic investment from Kushtard, uh, which could give them a controlling interest later. They're the uh, owners, of course, of um, popular chain of, of convenience stores. So they've got lots of experience in expansion and, and running retail operations. This is a positive thing for Edmonton, one of our on-the-up companies getting this huge investment. And then he goes on Ryan Jesperson's show and talks about how the city of Edmonton has been the most difficult uh, municipality in the province to work with. He said, of all the municipalities we've dealt with, Edmonton has actually been the most difficult, which is not a ringing endorsement of administration. What do you make of that statement as it was coming out? Because uh, I had a lot of visceral reactions. The first I was like, oh, OK, that tracks. Um, we've yeah. complained about administration in the past. But as the media circuit went on, I don't know, my cynicism started to kick in and there was one counselor that was really getting on board with, see guys, I've been telling you this whole time. Who might that be? Counselor Mike Nickel right. from Ward 11, the business focused, uh, we're losing businesses to other municipalities. He really jumped on this and I would say was as much driving the media on this as Fire and Flower was. Yeah, weren't you supposed to be on summer break, Nickel? Anyway, he said, I've heard it from across industries, be it manufacturers, be it people in the commercial side, retailers. It's clear across the board, the same old, same old, he said. The cynic in me wonders, we are likely not going to have corporate and union donations allowed in the next municipal election. But donations of media time to a counselor that Fire and Flower really wants to get elected, maybe that's what this was. And the cynic in me, that's what I saw. Um, on the other hand, this is celebrating a year of the podcast, and our first episode was administration bungling decisions and council having to go back and rectify all of the problems. So yeah. maybe that's rosy-eyed glasses. I think there's probably a, a little bit of truth to this, right? Where there's smoke, there's fire. I'm, I'm guessing that they definitely did run into some issues with Edmonton. Is it worse than any other municipality? Maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. He certainly got the airtime he was looking for uh, on that. I think we need to put this behind us and as a city recognize that if we want to grow the economy and diversify, as we're always talking about, here's a big, big company that we don't want to lose and we should be trying to support them. Speaking of support, we're supported by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. 
And that podcast network is supported by Unibeat Coworking, a multi-coworking space focused on helping people pursue their passions and making Edmonton its creative best. You can join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations all dedicated to getting things done. Uh, now, say it with me. They have a podcast studio. Have we mentioned this before? I think we might have. Uh, we're not recording in it today, but we've recorded in it several times before. And thanks, Unit B. You make the podcast easier. You can book a tour at unitb.ca. And that's all for this week. Um, before we go, though, Taproot has new roundups and new stuff going on. Yeah, we decided not to take the summer off and we worked harder than ever. So we've launched a new arts roundup, as I mentioned. Uh, it comes out every Thursday morning, so you can get the latest on performing arts, literary arts, visual arts. Uh, if you want to keep up to date on what's going on in that community, that's the place to do it. And then last week, we've launched a regional roundup. So this looks at the municipalities that are around Edmonton as well as Edmonton to give you a sense of what's going on regionally, especially as we put lots of money into economic development for the region. So check both of those out at taprootedmonton.ca. That's several roundups at this point. Uh, how many roundups? Does up to have? nine. Nine roundups. So that means you could get a roundup more than one per day if you so choose. You absolutely could. And you can do that by becoming a member on taprootedmonton.ca. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. municipally.